Mike McCarthy's son wrote him a farewell letter. And in it, Ross asked his dad to campaign for better mental health support for people like him in need. That was all Mike needed to pick up the baton and devote himself to developing one of the biggest suicide awareness and prevention initiatives the UK has ever seen. The Baton of Hope is a nationwide campaign that is striving to achieve a zero suicide society. A society where suicide and suicide prevention are openly and widely discussed. And where we inspire hope through action and support. Where we remove shame, stigma and silence. I'm Dan Holland. Speaking of Suicide is made in support of and in collaboration with Mikey's Line. And this episode has been sponsored by Arnold Clark. Now, as always, speaking of suicide is meant to be open and honest. That's the whole point of it. But sometimes that doesn't make for an easy listen. So remember, if you want to, you can press pause. And don't forget, there is support available from Mikey's Line. And I'll give out their details after we've heard from Mike. Mike, just outline for us... What is the Baton of Hope? The Baton of Hope, if you think Olympic torch, um, it'll sort of follow similar, uh, but not the same lines. It's basically a symbol of hope, as the name suggests. Uh, this is a physical baton that's been uh, designed and created by goldsmiths to the Queen, not, uh, no less. And... Basically, because it's a baton, it represents responsibility in the same way that when you pass a baton in a relay race, you pass on responsibility to the next person. And the reason for that is that we believe that everybody has a responsibility when it comes to suicide prevention, whether you're at the top of government formulating uh, suicide prevention strategies and policies, or whether it's just, you know, an extra text to your mate to say, how are you really? So that's, in a nutshell, the sort of thinking behind uh, Baton of Hope. And we hope to take it around the UK and highlight uh, examples of best practice in terms of suicide prevention. There are some excellent charities out there doing great work uh, who very rarely get mentioned. In fact, you know, maybe this is something that we can talk about. That the whole area of suicide is very much uh, a silent pandemic. So we want to smash the stigma, uh, get a, a, a good, healthy, open, transparent conversation going about something that is the biggest killer of under 35-year-olds in this country. But also, and this is very important, we want to have a legacy so that after the tour, there is real, practical, enduring change uh, that will uh, save lives and stop this stagnation in the suicide figures in the UK. So it's not just a physical baton. There's this metaphorical baton to start a conversation, to change society, to change our mindset. Am I right in understanding that? Absolutely. We think it's time, in fact, the the time is long overdue, to open up the conversation about something that we sweep under the carpet. As I say, the suicide figures in the UK have stagnated for more than 20 years now. And it's widely accepted uh, by clinicians, by people working in mental health services, 
um, by politicians that suicide is preventable. So we are asking the question, why aren't we preventing them? Why aren't we making any inroads uh, into this um, huge, huge issue uh, for the nation? Let alone, you know, why aren't we talking about it? You know, where where are the political debates? Where where is the public discourse? Uh, where, where's the media coverage? Where are the conversations in the classroom and the lecture theatres, etc.? Um, so yeah, the baton of hope um, represents something far beyond um, its physical existence, if you like. And you use the word hope. And I wonder what you think the significance of the word hope is, because when we're talking about mental health and we're talking about suicide, sometimes you hear people talk about trying to be happy or or seek happiness. But actually, hope is a really significant word. And I wonder what your, your thoughts of the power of hope are in this situation. I think that the reasons why people take their own lives are complex and very varied. Um, Each person has a different story to tell. But I think that one thing that is a common theme, at least, within um, suicides is the loss of hope. And I think that uh, when someone loses all hope, then, of course, you know, they're at much greater risk of potentially taking their own lives. And my son, Ross, who took his life last year, left a long farewell letter. And one of the things that he said in that letter was, please fight for mental health. The support is just not there. What Ross meant is that he had battled with severe depression for more than 10 years and then went to the National Health Service and asked for therapy. He was put on a six-month waiting list and he died two weeks into that wait. He'd lost hope. Um, I think Ross highlighted an enormous issue and I think in many ways the support isn't there. But we do believe that there is hope for, for people, that people can be saved, that there is salvation, that with hope we can find a solution and save lives. T- tell me about Ross, Mike. What sort of young man was he? Ross was 31. Uh, he grew up as a happy boy in a stable family. Um, he was funny, sometimes mischievous. Uh, made us laugh a lot. He was basically a good, decent, kind, hard-working family man devoted to his fiancée, Charlotte, and uh, his little son, Charlie, who's now five. Um, And we had conversations about his um, state of health, and Ross accepted always, readily, that... He was lucky uh, to have all the things in life that he'd sought. You know, a happy relationship. He would have been married to Charlotte had it not been for uh, COVID lockdown. Um, But he was ill. And, um, you know, just as 
some people develop physical illnesses. Ross developed a mental illness and tried his hardest. He was a fighter. He was a warrior. He tried everything in his uh, pursuit of salvation, shall we say. And um, towards the end, he thought he'd actually cracked it. He'd be found and paid for his own counsellor and uh, really related to the, the counsellor. And the last time we saw him was in Christmas uh, 2020, when we celebrated the fact that uh, Ross had made so much progress that year. Um, and we'll never know for sure, but we, we think that the depression came back with a vengeance. And maybe he thought that he tried everything and um, ultimately uh, nothing had worked for him. Um, and so he took his life and he was a loving son. Um, I'm as proud as any dad could be of, of him, what he achieved. And I'm just grateful for fantastic memories and the 31 years that we we had with him if you want a moment mike we can do did, no i'm fine thanks dan did he talk to you at all about his depression and his mental health and his difficulties did he talk to anyone about it he did uh, he spoke openly to his family, uh, certainly, uh, about it. And we were all, you know, uh, only too aware of the difficulties that he'd, he'd faced. But um, he tried to keep working and he didn't like to take time off work. He just got that kind of work ethic, uh, I guess. Uh, but we did talk quite a lot and um, he tried to take his own life the year before and we spoke to him at length after that and he promised that he would um, never never try again um, so it wasn't one of those situations where you know somebody just takes their life completely out of the blue without uh, any uh, record of having approached a GP or, or spoken even to close friends and and family and um, as I say, he left a long farewell letter. It was 12 pages long. And uh, part of the explanation was in that. But, you know, inevitably with a situation like this, there are always questions that we'll never be able to answer. You talked about hope earlier on there, Mike. In, in that horrific aftermath, people react in different ways when a loved one or someone very close to them, takes their own life. How did you react to all of that? Did you did you lose hope? Um, yeah, I, I just... It felt like I was falling through just black space and, you know, that it would be never-ending, that I'd never sort of come to any kind of landing, um, that that falling sensation would just go on forever, um, I felt like a piece of driftwood that I'd got no direction um, at all. Uh, it was just a sort of horrible, horrible, aching void. Um, and for a time, I did lose hope. Um, but then, uh, it's Ross's words in the letter, 
please fight for mental health. The support is just not there. Eventually, that kind of gripped me and made me realise that, you know, the least I could do for Ross, because I wasn't there at the end, I wasn't there to help him at the end, um, the least that I could do was try to honour what was effectively his dying wish. So um, I did as much research as I could. I spoke to as many people as I could, mums, dads, brothers, sisters, you name it, um, people who'd been bereaved by suicide, people who'd survived suicide attempts, uh, doctors, nurses, charities, psychiatrists. I spoke to a whole range of people um, to try to better understand the issues surrounding suicide prevention. And, and what I discovered is that what Ross was saying was, was largely true, that, you know, you can go to hospital feeling suicidal and be turned away and put on a six-month waiting list. Now, Ross had what I describe as cancer of the mind. It was terminal, okay? Not as easy to spot as some other terminal illnesses, but it was terminal. He was on... He was in a very high-risk category, having tried to take his own life uh, once before, and yet he was turned away. We wouldn't turn away someone who was dying of cancer, quite rightly, of course. So why do we turn people away who are, at the very least, in danger of uh, losing their life to a mental illness? And I think, you know, the more I studied, the more I realised that this had been the situation in the UK for more than 20 years, that the figures had stagnated, that although the clinicians agreed that suicide is preventable, um, we weren't preventing them effectively. Sure, we were saving lives. And I really would like to make the point that there's a lot of great work going on out there, some fantastic charities uh, doing excellent work. Um, but I think certainly within the suicide prevention sector, if I can call it that, there's fragmentation and people aren't speaking with one voice. And I think we need unity. We need to unify. And this is another key principle of the baton of hope. We need to unify to make sure that uh, once and for all we tackle this problem and aim at least towards a zero suicide society. We may never get there. But better to aim for zero suicide than to just let years of neglect pass by. Let's just pause for a sec, because if anyone is listening to this and, and wants someone to talk to or is worried about a friend or a family member who they think might need some help, then you can text Mikey's line on 077 Double five, or you can contact them via Messenger, web chat, or Twitter on Sunday to Thursday, 6 pm to 10 pm, and Friday to Saturday, 7 pm to 7 am. Mike, let's talk more about the Baton of Hope because you, you've described this dreadful situation of this stagnation of how society of, of the figures, which are just awful for society, and you paint a really dark and upsetting picture of where services are for people across the whole country you, you set up the Baton of Hope with Steve Phillip who we spoke to on a previous podcast and speaking of suicide uh, Steve we know has his own 
loss of, of Jordan, his son, together you sound like a formidable force, a force for good, because ultimately a zero suicide society would be, would be wonderful. It really, really would. And it would be wrong to say, goodness, that's a real challenge. But it's the little steps to take, isn't it, I guess? It is. None of us can do it alone. No single charity, no single individual, no single organisation. Um, and this is why we talk about uniting behind the baton of hope, because we do have to tackle this together, and we can. There are things that people can do. There is hope. Um, and we want to you know, bring back hope to the hundreds of thousands who find themselves in the same dark place that Jordan and Ross uh, found themselves. We want to reach these people and let them know that that we can bring about change. You know, um, I think as a nation, we've been incredibly um, let down and neglected in terms of suicide prevention uh, over many, many years. And the time, as I said earlier, is long overdue. We, we need to sort of tackle this head on. So we're very, very heartened by the response that we've had so far to the Baton of Hope. Uh, hundreds of people from around the country have contacted um, the Baton of Hope organising committee and um, expressed their belief and support in it and, and asked how they can uh, get involved and how they can help, which is wonderful. And it's something that we're um, getting our heads around uh, at the moment. So, yeah, we want it to be, uh, you know, to have a kind of universal uh, appeal. We're not specifically targeting any audience because, again, as I said, you know, every one of us has uh, a responsibility. And it may just be a hand on someone's shoulder uh, or that extra call, as I say. We can all play a part. There, there are seven, I believe, there are seven key pillars to creating this um, zero suicide society. Talk me through some of these pillars and, and how they will affect change. Well, we are putting together a number of charters uh, in which we will outline, we're, we are doing the research, we're talking to the experts, we're talking to people with lived experience, which is extremely important, and we will draft charters, a charter for education, a charter for politics, a charter for the media, a charter for the health service, etc., etc., on how we see a practical way forward, a, a way that is going to uh, break this um, dreadful status quo that we have uh, at, at the moment. And we're hoping to approach all of that with humility, with compassion, and, you know, with, with understanding. But we are also determined that if the baton of hope is going to mean anything, sure, we want to smash the stigma, sure, we want to get people talking. But if it's going to mean anything, it has to have a legacy, and that legacy will be uh, a, a practical change, real change, that will ultimately save lives. It's a huge task, 
but it's one that we have the capability to achieve. Many conversations I've heard and had with people have been aimed at trying to help those who are struggling with their mental health to know where to find the support or where to access the support. It sounds like you're coming at this almost from completely the opposite direction. It's saying, here's the people who have the ability to change the access, to change the society, to change the the boundaries that some people may face, physical or metaphorical, and break those down and open everything up for those people like Ross and Jordan to provide better support. Am I, does that make sense? Yeah, I suppose, you know, uh, it's two-pronged. We want to highlight best practice, uh, at, you know, that, that we uh, are, uh, find at the moment, but we also want to improve services. We'd very much like some of the uh, agencies involved in suicide prevention to come together to work out how... Uh, in unification, uh, we can change the, the, the system at the moment. You know, I sometimes think if war uh, were the main reason for the, the loss of under 35s in this country, we'd hear about it every day. If it was COVID, we'd certainly hear about it every day. Drugs, road accidents, it's none of those things. It's suicide, and we don't hear about it. So the first step is to you know, open the conversation and make it transparent so that we can normalise discussions about suicide and we can abandon phrases such as commit suicide, which, as you know, the word commit goes back to a time more than 60 years ago when suicide in this country was illegal. and People could be and were put in prison having survived the suicide. Uh, attempt. We've, you know, we've come some distance from them, but we're still used in the language of the Dark Ages. You know, where a few weeks ago, uh, an MP who decided that he wanted to take some time off work uh, through depression um, was reported in some of the newspapers, and some of them, you know, used the phrase that he'd admitted to fighting depression. Well, I wouldn't admit to a cold, or I wouldn't admit to having any other illness so why do we have to admit that we um have depression you know it's common enough uh, all too sadly it's about changing how we rethink mental health problems are are treated isn't it in and when i say treated i mean they're placed in that kind of hierarchy of illness i read a post on linkedin recently of a father who'd intervened in his daughter's attempt to take her own life. Um, And it was a really heartbreaking read, but it was really honest. And he ended what he'd written by explaining why he'd been so public so soon. And it was, I think it was 48 hours after the event. And he said he did it because he was ashamed of society not allowing people to be honest. And he that was his way of trying to break down this stigma and it was i thought that was really really powerful in his honesty i think people generally are very sympathetic and and very supportive the vast majority of people uh, we know and that we've spoken to have uh, been incredibly compassionate and 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 helpful uh, with with their support 
But I think there is still a huge reluctance to discuss uh, suicide. And I think, you know, one of the key things that we need to address is, is what politicians and others call parity of esteem, which basically means that we, you know, we spend a lot less on mental health than we do on physical health. It gets a fraction of the attention that uh, physical health uh, attracts. You know, you switch on your television tonight and there'll be programmes about what you should be eating, how many calories you should be taking, you know, what your body should look like, uh, you know, ad infinitum. But where are the mainstream programs about mental health? Um, you know, uh, wh- where is all the advice about how to, you know, look after our mental health? Because there is no health without mental health. You can be the fittest person on the planet, but if you don't have mental health, um, good health, well, you know, then there's, there's little point in being super physically fit. So, yeah, and I think, you know, it's not just the conversations around suicide. We know as a, as a bereaved family that the way that um, people are often treated in situations like this is, is woeful. And it's not because of any sense of unkindness or, or malice out there. Of course it isn't. But as one example, um, when Ross died, we drove through the night. We got the call in the middle of the night and we drove through the night to where he he lived which was two hours away and and by the time we got there the police had taken away the farewell letter and just at the time when your mind is spinning with circular conversations about the whys and wherefores and you know what ifs um, there was a document you know a 12-page document that could have at least answered some of the questions for us and I guess you know, eased a little bit of the the agony. And it took us a week to get the letter back. Um, you know, we couldn't even get a, a digital copy. In fact, we didn't get the, the actual letter back for, for, for months. Um, and we had to try very hard to get hold of that letter. Now, you know, I don't think this was the police service being unkind but I think the system sometimes not just in the police service but the health service uh, and other areas can sometimes be glacial and I think we've got to turn that round and we've got to focus on where the help is really needed people who lose someone to suicide are, are at much greater risk of suicide themselves and again I think this is largely overlooked so it's got to be a sea change we've got to turn things around and look at it from the perspective of the person who needs the help not from the perspective of what suits the institutions absolutely absolutely and hopefully conversations like this and and hearing the passion in your voice mike helps people realize that and and affect that change where can people find out more about the baton of hope mike well, they can go on our website for a start, uh, which is www.batonofhopeuk.org. And uh, there's a lot of information on there. And people who want to register their interest, if they feel that they'd like to be involved in this initiative, they can register their interest on our website. And that will trigger a response 
uh, from us. Uh, we're just contacting now uh, all of those sort of hundreds of people who've been uh, in touch with us. And uh, yeah, the more the merrier. We, we want as many people as possible to join us and make the baton of hope a success. But, you know, more importantly, to reach out to people, let them know that there is hope and ultimately to save lives. I, I hope so too. We'll put a link to that website for the Battle of Hope into the, the show notes of this podcast too. And I think you're coming up to Inverness next summer as well. The the, the route isn't finalised yet, uh, Dan. And <laughs> the, the reason for that is that, again, we don't want to be a charity that, that kind of, you know, sits back and say, uh, and says, right, you come to us for advice. We want to know where we should be going and why. We want to find these examples of, of best practice. We want to, uh, if we can, galvanise communities to maybe set up their own project, their own charity. Um, it could be anything. It could be, you know, a, a garden of hope, for example, on a community allotment or whatever. Um, you know, we're hoping there'll be things like photography competitions where people are encouraged to capture the essence of hope in a, in a picture or a short film. Um, there are lots and lots of ideas that, that we think you know, people can um, get involved with themselves um, and you know, to sort of show the world that, that, yeah, this is a huge problem, but we haven't given up hope. You know, one of the things that I really wanted to do when we lost Ross was to sort of you know, shut the door on the world and just... You know, be left left alone. Um, but you know, uh, I and many, many hundreds of others have, have realised that you know um, that that's not of any use to anybody. And, and um, you know, when Ross said, "Please fight for mental health," um, well, Ross, this is what we're doing. You know, this is what. Uh, we're trying to do um, on your behalf and on behalf of all of the hundreds of thousands uh, who, who lost hope uh, like you. It doesn't need to be like this. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for sharing about the Battle of Hope with us and telling us so openly and honestly about Ross. And if the Battle of Hope should come to Inverness, then I really hope we can bring the Battle of Hope and Mikey's line together um, sometime next year Mike thank you very much thank you for your time but thank you for inviting me a reminder of Mikey's lines details if you or someone you know needs help or advice you can text 07786 207755 that's zero double seven eight six two zero double seven double five, or contact them via Messenger, web chat, or Twitter. They're available Sunday to Thursday, six pm to ten pm, and Friday to Saturday, seven pm to seven am. Now here's Shona McPherson from Mikey's Line with a few thoughts for you to take away. Mike faced a loss of hope, a crisis of hope, when he lost Ross to suicide. He lost hope in service provision for people 
who are feeling mentally unwell or who are suicidal. His son was turned away when he was in danger. And Mike shares that he asked, where are the conversations? Why are we not talking about suicide? Where is the support? Where is the hope? And then with Ross's words, please fight for mental health. The support isn't there. It's like Mike himself was handed a baton. He is working to honour Ross's dying wish by seeking to be part of the answer to his own questions. He is bringing a message of hope to this dire situation and his message is that suicide and mental health are all of our problem and that a zero suicide society can be achieved if we unite our efforts or we can certainly move towards that if we unite our efforts to work from the perspective of the people who need the help. So we all need to share that baton of hope. And as Mike says, that us passing on that baton of hope doesn't have to be some, some big grand gesture. It can be in the, what we could perceive as the small acts of asking a friend if they are okay, of having conversations that feel vulnerable. A podcaster called Madeline Black talks about hope as an acronym, hold on pain ends, hold on pain ends. If you are listening to this and you feel hopeless right now, please know that you're not alone, that you matter. And please speak to someone that you trust. It could be a friend, it could be a family member, a GP or support worker from an organisation like Mikey's Line. People do care, so please don't be alone if you do feel hopeless. Huge thanks to Shona and all the team at Mikey's Line for the work they do. The podcast platform is supported by D&D Paving Limited. Please do like, share and comment about the podcast. And if you want to get involved by sponsoring an episode or telling your story, just get in touch with Mikey's Line. Speaking of Suicide is an adventurous audio production. The music is Nana by Tom Ireland. Mike McCarthy's son sent him a farewell letter and in it Ross asked his dad to campaign for better mental health support for people like him in need. That was all Mike needed to pick up the baton and devote himself to developing one of the biggest suicide awareness and prevention initiatives the UK has ever seen. The baton of hope 
is a nationwide campaign that is striving to achieve a zero suicide society, a society where suicide and suicide prevention are openly and widely discussed and where we inspire hope through action and support, where we remove shame, stigma and silence. Now, speaking of suicide is meant to be open and honest. That's the whole point of it. But as we know, that doesn't always make for an easy listen. So remember, you can always press pause. And don't forget there is support available for Mikey's line. And don't forget there is support available from Mikey's line. I'll give out their details after we've heard from Mike. 